Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Hey, I want to personally invite you to our first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's a conference at the Outcomes Rocket and the IU Center for Health Innovation and Implementation Sciences has teamed up on. We're going to put together silo-crushing practices just like we do here on the podcast, except it's going to be live. With inspiring keynotes and panelists to set the tone, we're conducting a meeting where you could be part of drafting the blueprint for the future of healthcare. That's right. You could be a founding member of this group of talented industry and practitioner leaders. Join me and 200 other inspiring health leaders for the first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's an event that you're not going to want to miss. And since there's only 200 tickets available, you're going to want to act soon. So how do you learn more? Just go to outcomesrocket.health/conference for more details on how to attend. That's outcomesrocket.health/conference, and you'll be able to get all the info that you need on this amazing healthcare thinkathon. That's outcomesrocket.health/conference. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. I thank you for tuning into the podcast again. I really appreciate that. You know, I've gotten a lot of information, a lot of emails saying how certain episodes have resonated. So don't be shy. Follow up with us on, on Twitter at, at Outcomes Rocket. We'd like to hear from our listeners because today I have an amazing guest. And I also invite you to rate and review us at outcomesrocket.health slash reviews. This guest is an amazing collaborator in healthcare, a digital healthcare innovator with over two decades of experience, originally from London, England, but now here in the United States, specifically in New York City. His focus is on helping healthcare institutions differentiate themselves through innovator strategies using digital and also technology. And so his focus is social media, it's digital platforms for marketing, anything that will help you as a healthcare professional, as a healthcare leader within an organization, promote what you're doing, but also get it to the right hands at the right time. So Gary, I just want to welcome you to the podcast and fill in any of the gaps of that uh, introduction that I may have missed. Yeah, so I think that's great. That was that was all good. I should say I moved over from London to New York several years ago. I'm actually originally from Birmingham, so I don't want to forget my roots. So that's where I'm originally from in the UK, but I spent many years living in, in London. And I've worked over the, at that time in healthcare, worked within pharmaceutical companies, a lot of time at Johnson & Johnson, and then working in agency and consultancy. So a broad, broad experience, but I think you covered it very well. So yeah, looking forward to this. Absolutely. And, and so are we. So the reason why I wanted to bring Gary on here is to get a little taste of outside of the normal healthcare box, right? Because in general, we've got to find better ways to target our customers, our patients, and really get a better outreach. And I think we all struggle at this. And so Gary's here to provide us some insights. But before I, we do get into that, Gary, what got you into healthcare to begin with? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I'm a real science nerd. So my, my study, I guess you'd call it a major here. I majored in um, yes. organic chemistry and medicinal chemistry. Nice. Um, yeah, and, and I was really fascinated with how these kind of human-built molecules could interact with the body, receptors, active sites, and have a profound, potentially a profound positive effect, but also how we could minimize side effects and make sure they were really specific. So, so I found that side of it fascinating. So that got me into healthcare and interested in, in pharmaceuticals. And also the scientific 
pursuit of it, very exciting, but also that potential for doing something good for humanity was compelling. So that's got me into it. I, I spent some time in a lab. Um, one small anecdote I'll throw in, though, I, I definitely have got the skills for science, but in terms of the humbling part of that is I, um, I certainly don't feel I have the practical skills because uh, at my time at the Glaxo Research Centre in England, I was uh, working in the hydrogenation suite there and uh, dropped some finely divided catalyst on the floor, started a small fire, uh, oh nearly created the next, a small fire as the, uh, <laughs> the catalyst kind of uh, it got exposed to the air and uh, set on fire. So luckily we didn't end up with the next Hindenburg, but I, I kind of realized I <laughs> had the mind for science, but maybe not the body and the practicality and the coordination. But, but that got me in there and then I moved out of the lab and the rest was kind of history really. That's awesome. I'm glad nothing terrible came out of that, Gary, but your your passion stuck. And now you're helping people build fires so that they could get attention to their practices and businesses. So you're you're doing it in a positive way. Exactly. I like that. Yes, that's true. So that's fascinating. What would you say today, Gary, is a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda? And how are you guys approaching this? Yeah, the thing I think of is is data and artificial intelligence. Sounds like two topics, but clearly they're very deeply intertwined. And when I say data, I'm talking specifically about personal and patient data. And they kind of like sound like dirty words now, particularly with the times with with what's going on with Facebook. But we've got these initiatives going on around real world data, population health, outcomes driven healthcare, a lot of buzzwords, but important initiatives. But none of these are actually going to produce anything of value without the right use of data, the right approach and the use of artificial intelligence. For example, you know, artificial intelligence is will highlight we can set up a program say it's a population health program, artificial intelligence can actually highlight factors that the researchers, program managers have not even considered in the setup phase and really help us join the dots in the ways that we might find it hard to do. So yes, that's very big and it's a complex challenge. So when I think about my approach and our approach to that, one thing that comes out is very specific. Clearly, we need to get all the setup right for that, understand the problem, make sure we're asking the right questions. But what I would say is probably actually more of a general point that could apply to other things outside of artificial intelligence as well, but is to really think broadly in the thinking and the ideation phase. So to give you an example, in most cases, pretty much all cases, you want to go super broad in terms of the types of data collection. But let's take a hypothetical example. If we're running a program in New York around mental health and we're trying to support patients who may be on medicines, but we've got a coaching program, an online coaching, counseling program, support program that they can go to. Obviously, we can pull a lot of metrics off that, how patients are engaging, but we probably want to take as much information about that patient as possible and those patients to feed into the system. So what I'm talking about the ideation phase is when we're planning that is to really look at the types of data that would be useful to us and look at them without judgment. So conceivably, we could think for those patients, it would be great to know where they are, whether they're going out, use the geolocation on their phone, how active they are, how much exercise they're doing, any activity based from their phone, any wearable devices they're using, if they've got off. Uh, sensors in that home, measure their exact movements, monitor their phone calls, the number of phone calls, frequency, duration of calls, same with text messages, how long they are, and even what they are saying, 
from their voice modulation, pitch intonation to actually what they're saying. The more I can't keep saying, it probably sounds very, very creepy. But the important yeah. point I'd want to make yeah, is, you know, yeah, I, uh, in it, the back of my yeah. mind, I'm like, holy cow, like, that's a lot of information. And it makes you think, right? Like we could yeah. get a lot of information from our cell phones. So how do we use it? What are some guidelines there? And, and what are some examples of what you guys have done? Yeah. So there's a lot of good examples of that. I mean, there's one that I wasn't directly involved in, but I think it's a nice example, one that I've actually involved in kind of sharing out and blogging around it. And it, yes. it's, it's a little while ago now. I think the company's slightly pivoted, but a company called Ginger.io. So I've actually pulled that into proposals for clients, for pitches. So I didn't actually build it out, but that was fascinating technology where they actually used the mobile phone. I believe they used the tracking of the phone in terms of the geolocation, the sensors, the patient moving around as a proxy for how their depression was going. So clearly if they're sitting around and not moving much, generally their probably mood's probably lower. If they're functional, moving around, going to the shops, going, go, going out, seeing friends, socializing, that's obviously good. And I mentioned that bit about voice to kind of throw that in there. But actually, I believe they were using not going as far as monitoring what the patients were actually saying, which I appreciate sounds creepy, but understanding their voice modulation, so how often they were speaking, so actually knowing, okay, if they're isolated and they're not sending text messages, they're not calling their family, they're probably not in a good place, but if they're making frequent calls, you know, we're not actually interested in what they're saying, snooping on their conversations, but actually if they're having those conversations on a regular basis, it's probably a good thing, so using those metrics. So I think that's a really good, a good, uh, good use case for that. But the reason I put this stuff about listening to the patients in there is kind of be to be provocative. But I think it's a really important point when we start thinking big on these projects. There's no harm in thinking these things initially. I feel the problem, I'm, I'm kind of going on a rant here now, but I find a problem with big companies as opposed to startups having work in both will shut down ideas. Like, let's listen to what the patients right. are saying explore that and we might get to a point of actually ethically that doesn't work it doesn't work for the patient but let's explore where that could lead to and maybe it leads to the point of actually we listen to the patient's conversations not what they're saying but how often they're saying it the voice modulation that we anonymize everything de-identify everything so we get to kind of an exciting place because we've opened our thinking rather than someone in say a farmer or a, a big biotech company saying no we can't do that we can't listen to what patients are saying doing with the phone and it kind of gets shut down as soon as it's thought about and conceived, and then the end idea often ends up very vanilla and really not that valuable. So do you see what I'm saying? It's it's thinking big initially, yeah, and then we pull it back in and we make sure we're doing the right thing by the patient ethically and we don't go spying on patients, et cetera, but we start thinking what data could we actually use and how would we get it and how would it serve us? Yeah, Gary, and and you bring up a good point, right? The point here is, listeners, you got to be open-minded. If you're going to innovate, you got to be open-minded. And sure, it might be a little edgy, but let's find ways like anonymizing and de-identifying and stripping away the things that are patient information and making those voice markers or keywords something that could serve the people that it's intended to serve. And Gary, the thing that brings up kind of a thought in my mind about this discussion is the whole area of digital therapeutics and what's being done with digital technology to help patients. It's super interesting what's going on out there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, obviously what you said, they can cover a lot of things, but it's particularly fascinating when you've got um, digital tools that can even that actually help patients. I was speaking to a, a friend who works for a startup 
and I, I'd say what he does classes are digital therapeutics, but actually helping patients uh, sleep better. So analyzing, understanding their sleep patterns by sensors on the body, but also in the room where they're, they're sleeping. And then part of the digital therapeutics is actually adjusting their environment, the temperature of the room, but also the important uh, thing that he's doing is actually using research to actually play specific segments of white noise at certain times when patients nice. are sleeping, deep sleeping, they're having their delta waves of deep sleep. And the scientific research shows when the right sound is played at that time, it can actually extend the period of deep sleep and mean that the, the patient, the human being gets a lot more restful sleep. So I would say that's a good example of a digital intervention where it's listening, understanding, but also giving that kind of response and biofeedback. And there's a good patient outcome, hopefully, at the end of that. Yeah, Gary, what a great example. And programs like video games to help you with ADHD instead of Ritalin. Listeners, the point here is what Gary's telling us is that we got to think outside the box and we got to push the envelope. And oftentimes, large organizations get trapped with the knee-jerk no. And the little guys come up, the little digital Davids, and they kick butt. And so just a little thing to consider, this little uh, uh, warning, like be open to innovation and be open to ideas, even though up front they may not seem like it, distill them to the point where you can actually maybe get something that's not vanilla to Gary's point and it doesn't make an impact. So Gary, can you give the listeners an example of some of the things that you've done to help your clients create results and get things done better, improve outcomes? Yeah, I've got a couple of examples. One thing's coming to mind that I've been working on quite extensively recently, which is a hot topic is, is social media. So I can't give too many specific examples, but I've worked on clinical trial recruitment using social media, which is very exciting because we've been able to get patients to enroll for clinical trials faster than they normally would, and also more of them faster, but also importantly, at a lower cost as well. The cost of acquisition is between 10 and 100 times lower than using traditional methods. So that's been very exciting using social media for that. I even shared something yesterday. I wasn't involved in it, but the use of artificial intelligence attached to medical records to recruit patients for uh, for clinical trials. That's how it's kind of evolving. So that's such a big a big area where there's such potential to help patients because there's a global shortage of clinical trial patients, and also ensure that that's done cost effectively as well. So that's a big thing. I kind of broaden it out to social media generally again because it's it is such a hot topic. So I, I've been working on, I mean, I love social media from the perspective that using things like Facebook, you can target patients directly and actually understand whether they've taken a specific action, seen a doctor, so measure if they've moved on that journey towards better outcomes. And the reason I mentioned Facebook, because obviously it's been in the, in the news a lot recently, Zuckerberg's been hauled up in front of Congress, but yeah, it's very, uh, it's got a lot of good potential within healthcare, but obviously it's got the potential for misuse as well. So, but I'm optimistic we can get to a point where the good will, uh, will triumph and we can use it. But I, I'm just really concerned that we, people don't get to the point of like Facebook using this is bad, stop using it. There's a lot of good that can actually be done if it's done in the right way using, using this and other, other channels. Yeah, totally, man. And you know, Gary, let's talk about Facebook. So a lot of uh, folks in the industry will think about campaigns, whether it be driving patients to a trial, a medication trial, whether it be attaining business clients in the healthcare space. I've heard the debate, Facebook versus LinkedIn, which one's more effective? What's your take on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of experience doing this. And obviously, it does depend a lot on, on who you're targeting and, exact, and what you're doing. Overall, forget about the audience. In terms of the power of the targeting, currently Facebook, I know they're pulling back some of that based on you know, some of the abuses that they've had. So we'll have to see how that net, nets out. But it still looks like the targetings would stay a lot more powerful than LinkedIn. So from a pure targeting perspective, I find Facebook more valuable. In terms of targeting patients, in most cases, Facebook is going to be where more of the patients are and easier to reach in context. Obviously, a number of them may be on LinkedIn, but in, in terms of actually reaching them the right way around their condition, it's usually accepted more for that message to come through something like Facebook than LinkedIn. The work I've done targeting healthcare professionals, actually, it's been a mix of, I've had mixed results depending on the type, the type of project, the type of, of clinicians working on LinkedIn versus Facebook. Often, my advice would be, you know, without knowing more about a specific project, if it's healthcare professionals, look at doing both and then see what's really working, where you're getting the most benefits, you're getting the most reach, and then turn over the, move the budget onto one that's working. So I'd, I'd always advise clients to be flexible. You know, we've got this pot of money, we've decided we're going to put like, play it safe, half on LinkedIn, half on Facebook, but be able to quickly dial it up one way or the other if we're getting impact on one platform versus the other. So overall, you feel like Facebook allows you to do more acute targeting, meaning more specific targeting and LinkedIn, not as much, but you recommend sort of trying a mix of both measuring and then pivoting once you figure out what's working out. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what surprised me from practical experience is how effective Facebook can be about reaching doctors. Because, you know, you see the statistics. A lot of doctors are using Facebook for personal reasons, right. but a, a lot less are using it for professional reasons. But that's kind of a bit of an arbitrary distinction, because when a physician is on there for personal reasons, if something's coming up that's in context, the doctor's not going to have switched off. If it's relevant to them or their practice, totally. they're still going to click through on that ad. If they're using it to keep in touch with their family or look at their friend's holiday pictures, they're not going to ignore it and say, oh, I'm not clicking on that, even if it's interesting and relating to my profession. You know, that's not going to happen. They're going to they're going to click on it. So yeah, definitely consider Facebook for, for doctors. Fascinating. Now that's some really great insights. And and listeners, as you consider these newer digital platforms, you know, take some of the, these thoughts from Gary and plug them into your strategy and do some testing as you work to reach those people that you want to impact most, whether it be patients, whether it be providers or industry, just do these tests. And ultimately, the end result will come from being able to tweak tweak until you get the result that you're looking for. Gary, what would you say one of your proudest leadership moments in healthcare have been to date? Yeah, so there's a tough question. There's a lot of work I've, I've done. But yeah, but the one thing that's coming to mind that kind of lives large in my memory because I've kind of built on it since was a couple of years ago, I led a team at a hackathon in Cleveland Clinic. Nice. And yeah, it was, it was great. It's very exciting. And we created a, a solution to potentially help chronic pain patients reduce their dependence on opioids, uh, use data and artificial intelligence to learn what interventions were having an impact outside of the medication. So even things like kind of acupuncture, yoga, meditation. So it was a great achievement, like full disclosure on that. It won an award at the hackathon, which was great. So it was successful from that perspective. Due to an array of reasons, didn't get that built out. I'd still love to build that out because I think that's, that's extremely exciting. But the, the really real positive from that that I'm proud of is, is the learning and thinking from that is there. And I've been able to move that on into other projects, advising startups, biotech, pharma companies on, on similar projects, you know, for example, in the field of mental health. So it's taking that value, even though not directly in that project and using that knowledge in other projects. I think the reason I'm proud of that and those type of projects is 
you know, I really believe in what pharmaceutical companies can do. What I also believe in is the importance of having that kind of holistic approach of what's working for the patients. Sometimes drugs are great. Sometimes they're not great. Sometimes they're very important, but in the context of other interventions. So that's, that's really important for me is having the right interventions for the patients that may or may not include drugs, but that we're not just totally focused on. The only answer is a pill and, and a medicine. So, you know, that's kind of where my head is with that. Yeah, no, that's really interesting, Gary. And thanks for sharing that. I know a good percentage of the of the listeners are also entrepreneurs building things. And so if what Gary mentioned to you sounds interesting, by all means, at the end of the podcast, Gary will share his contact information, how you could get a hold of him. Maybe it's a project that you and Gary can pick up, dust it off and get it going because there's definitely a need for solutions to solve the opioid epidemic. And so the invitation is there, right, Gary? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to keep working on that. So definitely. Tell us a little bit about an exciting project that you're working on today. So uh, I'm working on, as I said, both the, the types of projects there where I'm working on uh, actually using real-world data to support patients from various different devices. Again, it's, it's hard to talk like exact specifics, but to give you an idea of some of the range of stuff I do, which I think is important, is working on a number of uh, digital transformations for mainly pharmaceutical companies, which is really moving them from a position of not using much in the way of digital channels and communications to their patients and their doctors in their, in their marketing, to actually using it in a really defined smart way in a way, I don't even want to say multi-channel, but in a way that really understands the needs of the end customers and actually takes them on, on the journey and, and the digital tools are used in the right way. And that, that's exciting for me because that's measurable using digital and technology to take, whether it's doctors, patients on a specific journey and get to an endpoint. And the beauty of that measurable piece is we can really tie that back to outcomes rather than the easier way of doing things. It's like, yeah, we need to do digital, let's do email, like websites, let's build an app and just kind of throw things at the patient, at the doctor. There's a fair chance that's not going to work anyway. But if it does work, we kind of don't even understand what's really uh, working and what's not. So some of those transformation projects, you know, for me are very exciting. And then the more those, some of those projects working on building in the technology where we're actually supporting patients, not just using medicines, but actually using technologies and other interventions. So those ones, those are the ones that I find even more exciting. Super exciting. And, you know, we need more of that, Gary. So keep up the awesome work there. There's no doubt that companies are, are starting to, to come to grips with the fact that this is the way that things are going. So keep up the great work. Great. So Gary, getting to the end here, let's pretend you and I are building a leadership course in medicine, the digital leadership course in medicine, the 101 of Gary Monk. And I want to build out a syllabus with you. I've got four questions that are lightning round style. So some quick responses to these, followed by a book and a podcast that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Yeah, great. All right. What's the best way to improve health outcomes using digital? So key thing is understand the patient's situation. I know you wanted it short, but that probably sounds like a cliche, but really challenge what you know about the patient and observe the patient, understand their pain points. I always like to think if you were, if you wanted to understand how a lion, lions hunt, you don't go and watch them feed at a zoo. So forget focus groups, just really observe the patient and understand them. Great analogy. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? The key thing for me is we need to start by asking the right questions. So yes, I mentioned data and AI are important, but if we're not careful, we might start to get the right answers to the wrong questions. How do you stay relevant 
despite constant change? So two big things. I've mentioned the focus of, of the patients to so really understanding them as they, they have evolved, but also involving the changing technology landscape. So involve both. Again, both are important. The patient actually more so, because if we understand the patient and not the technology well enough, the outcomes are going to be suboptimal. If we understand the technology and not the patient, it, it's going to be a disaster. Love it. What's one area of focus that should drive everything in a health organization, a digital area of focus? So a digital area of focus. So I was going to just answer the easy thing, which is important, and bring it back to the patient. But actually, if you're talking about a digital area of focus, it's understanding the patient. The patient's not going to see things as necessarily digital, non-digital, but just yes. really understanding what they're using, what channels they're using, but also why are they using them? What problem are they actually trying to solve with that? So just getting real deep in understanding that from the patient's perspective. Outstanding. What book and what podcast would you recommend to the listeners, Gary? Yeah. So in terms of a book, I finished a recent book actually called uh, Life 3.0 by Max Tegmark. And mm. it's, it's about the future of um, yeah, artificial general intelligence. Now, there's some healthcare examples, but what I love about it is it really takes the future forward about where artificial general intelligence can go when machines get smarter than humans. And before I read it, I started to think more about science fiction. But actually, this stuff will be a reality. It's just a question of it's, whether it's 30 years or 300 years from now. I mean, that's what the experts are debating, not whether machines will get smarter than humans, but just will it be hundreds of years away that we don't have to even think about it in our lifetimes, or could it be sooner? But actually, it was really good to understand that from a kind of visionary perspective, and then to tie things back uh, from healthcare and understand where it can go. Life 3.0. And how about a podcast? Yeah, yeah so I feel like your, your questions are what I've been comfortable with them all, but this one's kind of... Um, stump me. You know, I listen to a range of podcasts and I've not including yours, but I'm just starting to really get into them because, you know, I mentioned that book, Life 3.0, and it was yes. uh, the first book that I um, listened to on Audible. So yeah, so I found that now in New York, when I'm, uh, I've got so much time to kind of more like listening to stuff than reading stuff, you know, when I'm on the subway, it's a lot easier to listen than to read. So probably next time I'll have a list, list of podcasts, but really anything to do with technology. So I dip into any podcast relating to technology. I've listened to the digital marketer once on digital marketing. So to really keep up to speed on digital, social media and technology. So I kind of dip in, but always open to recommendations from you and your listeners as well, apart from this podcast, any others that I should be uh, listening to. So yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. And, and listeners, that's the beauty of podcasting. You know, you could go into the podcast app, type in your topic of choice, whether it be healthcare, or if you want to just take a breather from healthcare and learn about tennis or cooking or marketing, whatever you want, it's all there. The platform is powerful. So do like Gary does, you know, search for what you're feeling in the moment and just go for it. Gary, before we conclude, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get a hold of you. Great. Yeah. I mean, the closing thought really would be that the one thing that, that we discussed that kind of that I, that I feel the most strongly about is just that real, you know, without, you know, not meaning to sound like a cliche, but thinking big. And by that is like just really fearlessly going out, thinking about what you need to do to achieve the specific outcome without judgment and criticism. I mean, I've read the De Bono book uh, many times and it's kind of that green hat thinking where we're unjudged, no, you know, we're creative, we're not judging. And then we bring in the critical thinking later about what the current issues, the regulatory issue, issues might be. So to think big and open at first would be the really big thing to make this stuff happen and don't limit our thinking initially. So that, that'd be the big thing for me. And yeah, I'd love, love if your listeners want to get hold of me. That would be great. I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn and I'm very open to connecting. So uh, 
you can put all the extension in for LinkedIn and it's Gary W. Monk or just search for Gary W. Monk. So that's one R. Search for, search for me there on LinkedIn and Twitter. It's just simply at Gary Monk, G-A-R-Y-M-O-N-K. So those are probably the two best places to find me and yeah, I'd love to connect. Beautiful. And listeners, if you're on the road, don't worry about writing anything down. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash monk. M-O-N-K. And you'll be able to find all of Gary's information, links to the books that he recommended, and a transcript of today's conversation. So Gary, just want to say thanks again for spending time with us and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Yeah, definitely. A pleasure. Thanks, Sol, and uh, looking forward. Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. If you want the show notes, inspiration, transcripts, and everything that we talked about on this episode, just go to outcomesrocket.health. And again, don't forget to check out the amazing Healthcare Thinkathon, where you can get together to form the blueprint for the future of healthcare. You can find more information on that and how to get involved in our theme, which is implementation is innovation. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash conference. That's outcomesrocket.health slash conference. Be one of the 200 that will participate. Looking forward to seeing you there.